Hello, dear listener. Just so you know, quick programming note. We recorded the Pac-12 basketball episode on our normal time at Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific. And then some breaking news happened. Jed Fish left Arizona for Washington. Of course, we had an emergency podcast for that. You can check that up. It's its own, it's its own video on YouTube. Go check that out at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at no truck stops pod. I've appended it to the beginning of this episode. So what you'll hear first is our reaction to Jetfish leaving for Washington. And then we get into the rest of the Pac-12 basketball episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome once a fucking again to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. Uh, here we are for the third time in 72 hours, uh, the second time for an emergency podcast. Um, Jet Fish emerging as, uh, quote, Washington's top target for the head coaching job by Pete Thamel. Uh, it seems to be pretty much a done deal. Joining me live to react to this is Reed at Pac-10 Reed. I'm so fucking tired, dude. My immediate reaction was like, you just you just know Arizona's poaching another Pac-12 head coach, oh, and it, the cycle just going to go on and on. Emergency podcasts throughout January. Okay, can we agree? If Washington had hired Lance Leopold, we're not doing an emergency podcast, are we? <laughs> right? Like, no, we're, we're not, not doing we're not doing that. We're not doing an emergency podcast for Lance Leopold. No, it only could have been Washington hiring Jed Fish. Another Pac-12 coach. Absolutely. Uh, That is the only way we would have done this. So here we are for the second time today talking about this news about Jordan, Jordan Fish, Jed Fish leaving for Washington. Um, It's, it seems to be a done deal. It's not fully confirmed. Again, the language from Pete Thamel is Arizona coach Jed Fish has emerged as Washington's top target for the head coaching job. He's the only candidate Washington officials have engaged with after their initial phone calls that's probably bullshit uh expect clarity in the near future um and then you have a bunch of other people saying uh, you know message board writers who were probably a little too timid about their uh their reporting now coming out and saying that he's gonna take the head coaching job at washington i'm assuming that this is all gonna happen here there are lots of angles to break this down for but let's start with the arizona angle real fast we're gonna. We'll take twenty minutes here. We'll slap it at the end of the episode. In case you're out there wondering it, if you have to find this on our feed, yes, we'll slap it at the end of our um, Pac-12 basketball episode. But uh, just real quick, what? Why? Why did he leave? Arizona's not in a great spot institutionally. I think um, there are some debt and budgeting issues there. Definitely, uh, I think there's a chance that that contributed to it. Uh, they just lost their defensive coordinator recently to go be a co-defensive coordinator, basically a glorified position coach at Texas. So I think that speaks to where Arizona sat financially um, and and the resources that they're willing to push in to kind of make Arizona a, a top program in the Big 12, right? Um, that said, he had the foundation right there to be good at Arizona for the next year or two. We kind of felt that. Um, and so in that respect, it it's a huge gut punch to Arizona. I mean, it, it's really all falling apart for them right here. I don't know how many of these players will go and follow Fish to Washington. Um, 
but certainly you have to assume a lot of them might not be at Arizona next season. And that's a huge positive for Utah. It's a huge positive for a bunch of big 12 DBs that were going to get mossed by Tet McMillan all year. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. I think this is the, this is really bad for Arizona. Um, I, I think the whole, uh, a, a few months ago, a report came out that apparently the university was in major debt, like $240 million in the hole. Um, and that sort of was like, you know, people were sort of wondering like, okay, Arizona might have to start cutting some athletics programs. They made a huge miscalculation. We don't, I I don't know how much of that is affecting this. Sometimes you hear some of these stories and you're not really sure. Um, but you know, now the it's, it's here. They've probably, I wonder how much of their financial situation prevented them from being able to make an offer that was competitive with Washington, I don't know. You're hearing a lot of stuff that Washington just had more resources, more to offer, more to give than Arizona did. It's not clear to me if that's the case. I guess we'll find out in the reporting from reputable people first. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing is that we it's, it's clearly a, a different game. I sort of came into this wondering – that this if, if this was a lateral move, if if Arizona was like not that far behind Washington, Jed Fish now clearly thinks that they are. He clearly thinks he has a better shot of winning or using it as a stepping stone job for a bigger job later on. Uh, he thinks that he's in a better situation going to Washington. Do you feel like you made the right decision? Do you feel like this was a good decision for Jed Fish and his career? I don't I think that there are better jobs to take and I th- I I agree with the fact that long term where is Arizona you know are they geared to compete going into the 2030s I don't think so not a, they don't have the degree of support that Washington does but for me I think Fish had it right in front of him to win and potentially make a playoff win a Big 12 over the next 2 years do that and then I think you can take a bigger job. The Florida jobs have mentioned a lot because that's where he went to school. Um, and apparently Florida fans like him. I, I don't know. But I think it, taking a job like that in two years made a little more sense to me. Because the thing about the Washington job is I think it it can be a good program, right? Like it has more commitment uh, than Arizona. It is a Big Ten program. But it's a bit of a rebuild. You're not going to get in there and do what DeBoer did and win 10 games and 12 games and boost your stock in two years. It's going to take you four or five years, I think, to build something there. Maybe at that point, you are a really real winner and you do look great or the Washington job is great in and of itself. But I think it, it hurts his stock in the short term. If he's trying to if, he, if his mental game is, how do I put myself in the best position to get the Florida job next offseason or the offseason after that, I think staying at Arizona is better. Yeah, one of the one of the things that Matt, uh, Matt Schatzer says here in the chat, surprised he didn't wait on Florida or NFL job in a couple of years. I think that's exactly what you're alluding to here, Reed. I am... I, I, I guess one thing you said was that Washington has more commitment to football. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, I mean, certainly the financial challenges at Arizona are, are a real problem, but Arizona needs football more than Washington does just institutionally. Like yeah. if we think about what these football programs are, are supposed to do for their colleges, Washington 
Yeah, I think it benefits from football. It's not like, you know, a UCLA situation where, like, they don't really need football to do the things they want to accomplish as a university. Washington doesn't need it the same way Arizona does. That's for sure. Um, And Arizona, I do think, has committed a significant amount to trying to build with Jed Fish. And Jed Fish, to his credit, I mean, like, this is it's not the same situation as Kalen DeBoer in, in that Kalen DeBoer kind of came in, took over some players, added a couple complimentary pieces and ran with it. He built Arizona for, you know, from from the ground up. Um, this is something that Sean Cross is mentioning. Fish did a great job rebuilding Arizona, but in game he was not a coach I was ever jealous of. But he can recruit, and UW is in the power to power two, so it makes sense with Arizona's money issue. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think one of the things you mentioned was he, how many of the players from Arizona is he bringing to Washington? Um, I, I do think the roster thing. I think makes. I, I don't really know that that matters as much to me, um, but I, I sort of feel like. That's uh, that's a part of it. James Voss bringing up a great point, and we absolutely – we should have led with this. That's our bad. Um, his handling of, of JDL, Jaden Delora, should be a non-starter for the University of Washington administration. If they did their vetting and their internal vetting and they were trying to find a guy who was like – you know, you mentioned them like a few days ago as they want to be a Michigan. They want to do everything the right way. They want to be like better than everyone else and have a moral high ground and blah, 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 blah. Going with Jaden, going with Jed Fish is not a great one, right? I think the Jaden Delora issue, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. For me, the Jordan De- Jaden Delora issue is is both an indictment on his moral character, number one, but number two, it's an indictment on him as a football coach, which is rare that in these situations because he put his neck out for a bad quarterback, yeah. a guy who wouldn't start at most Pac-12 programs this year. Yeah, it came at the expense of the team. I mean just turn on the Mississippi State film and see him turn the ball over, what, five times in the first half? A game they absolutely win, if not for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, he it was odd, the preferential treatment that he gave JDL as a player, and on top of that, to throw in all the reasons that JDL has no reason, no, no reason to be on a Division One football roster or any football roster. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge black mark on Fish as a person. Um, I think, sadly, it's you know a wide-ranging issue across college athletics, across our culture. Um, and I think, well, Washington absolutely deserves to be critical, uh, criticized for it. I'm sadly sure that the list of programs who would say Jed Fish is a non-starter as our head coach is very, very small. Um, yeah. It, it's... It's not that Washington is is some outlier here in that fact, sadly. It's true, right. It's not like Washington hired, like, I guess I'm trying to think of a worse coach, like, uh, who's Hugh Freeze. It's not a Hugh Freeze right. free situation, <laughs> right. right? Exactly. Um, this where, is where j- Auburn is, is one of the few programs that would is shameless enough to hire him. Right. Uh, I, yeah. Right. Uh, Jetfish has, will have an and has had a long list of suitors after this season. And certainly the Jaden Delora thing has not really factored in, but coming back to the, the players that he's coming in with maybe potentially, I mean, I think this hire, if they make, here's the thing. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that it's final yet. There's no Pete Thamel, Brett McMurphy. Yeah. It's done deal tweet out there, but assuming that it does happen, assuming that it's all true and it's finalized and all that stuff, um, I do think this hire from Washington's end makes all the sense in the world if he brings Noah Fafita, if he brings in Tet McMillan, 
um, and maybe even a Jonah Coleman. Those are Neo, Noah Fafita, top 10 quarterback in the country, probably. Top two in the Big 12, if not number one. Probably there with Shadir Sanders and Cam Rising. Um, would have been top three quarterback in the Pac-12 if the Pac-12 was coming back. Ted McMillan, top five receiver. I mean, he's ridiculous. He's going yeah. to go first round after next year. And Jonah Coleman, I think, had a real argument for best running back in the Pac-12 last season. Will absolutely be in that discussion next season. If he brings in those players, I mean, isn't it worth it for Washington? Not, well, that's not what... worth it for the Jaden Delora thing. Worth it for, like, getting right. a guy who, frankly, has bounced around himself quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we talked about. I mean, this was such a unique situation for Washington because they had they had leveraged so much of their roster to I mean, guys whose eligibility was extended by COVID, fifth and sixth year guys, and then the best players on the team who were gonna go to the NFL draft. They're, you know, trio of receivers among them. Um yeah, so so they really needed an influx of talent. They needed recruiting juice if they were going to have any hope of competing over the next two to three years. And I think there's no one there. There was no candidate that could have done that more than Fish if he brings in Fafita and Tat McMillan. But I don't know that that's going to happen because there's just a i think there's a few more steps there than people realize right i mean one whatever nil deals they have with arizona are void you know those don't carry over once they leave right so washington needs to match that but also in between that is you go into the portal and you essentially make yourself a free agent again and all these you know schools across the country are going to open up their pocketbooks and be pretty interested in that duo um I don't know, you know, based on watch the facilities that Washington and resources that Washington's shown in the transfer market, it doesn't seem like it's a slam dunk that they would be the highest bidder for those guys or have the best case. But maybe the relationship with Fish is just that strong that he can do that. Yeah. James Voss, again, bringing up another great point. Shouldn't they have shouldn't they have finally gone out and gotten a recruiting monster? When will they wake up? Um, number one, I do think Jet Fish is a good recruiter. Like, I do think he would recruit well at Washington if there was any sort of commitment to Washington and staying there for longer than three years or two years or whatever. I think we're all sort of looking at this and thinking, how long is Jet Fish going to stick around? How long is he going to be at this program rebuilding Washington? I don't think any of us expect that he's going to be there longer than four years if that right do you i mean that's the thing and that's the thing james voss is mentioning it's like i think he's a recruiting power but i don't know that he's there long term in order to like be to build washington into a you know recruiting power themselves yeah i I think he's a good recruiter he's been up and down he's had i think some big wins um the tat mcmillan recruitment was huge when he landed elijah rushing initially who eventually decommitted that was wild to see him land a five-star recruit like that but overall i mean the class that he just signed at arizona is 57th um true that's not a horrible class for arizona but it's not like he's this a plus top 10 recruiter in the country necessarily either i think he's had some notable wins that have kind of raised his profile i think he's done a undeniably a good job reshaping the arizona roster that was in a very bad place three years ago um so he deserves credit for that 
I don't know. That is what Washington needs, frankly. I think they need someone who can just kind of trim up the health of this roster a little more uh, and at least recruit some bodies that belong there. And I think Fish has proven to be savvy and opportunistic when it's mattered. I think he's done a great job emphasizing in-state recruitments. I think he at least is making an effort and having a, a real strategic plan in recruiting that makes sense relative to most of his peers on the West Coast. Yeah. So I I think that that is the thing that you're sort of wondering about. But again, I don't know that Jed Fish is going to be there long term enough for that to matter so much. I guess, you know, it could be a bit of a uh, a situation where he is a great recruiter and brings a bunch of talent there. And um, and then when he leaves, they're in a good place. They they have a lot of talent left over for him yeah. that he can that the next guy can build on at Washington. But it's such a strange landscape because, you know, that used to be what we said about uh, all these hires. You know, you you fill up the cupboards with a good recruiter and then someone comes in and they can win with those players. But it's a new era in the transfer portal, right? Yep. Like if he gets a bunch of recruiting wins but leaves in two years, those a lot of those players might leave with him um, to a new job or just, you know, in the transfer portal to better places. So it's it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what the direction is. And I think that this hire is also complicated by the fact that it's happening really late in the cycle. It's happening after the first transfer window. Um, so there's a limited pool of players to draw from right now. It's a little different from what we saw Dion do last year, stockpiling so many transfers in that early window and kind of continuing to supplement that. I don't know that fish can amass enough bodies to kind of backfill this roster with the remaining transfer cycles available. Um, we'll see a big part of that depends how big of a chunk he can take out of Arizona's roster. And I think the funny twist of irony here is like, this is college football. Washington fans were so mad at DeBoer <laughs> and not to call them uniquely hypocritical because we all are in this aspect I think um, or at not least the vast not me I don't care I don't yeah. I truly don't I mean I do care but no, I'm never going to be like yeah wow he promised all these things I'm going to be like you know it's on UCLA but, for doing it right I mean Arizona just had their huge season too right yeah. they won an Alamo Bowl it was a giant building point for them yeah I'm sure a lot of Arizona fans feel betrayed and think you know think and are saying a lot of the same things about Jed Fish's loyalty that Washington fans were just saying about DeBoer's. And that raises into the question, like, how long is he going to be in Washington? Um, I think you can't expect these coaches to have any sort of loyalty, as we've learned, beyond, like, putting them in the circumstances that loyalty aligns with what's in their best self-interest, right? Like, right. Dan Lanning isn't a loyal coach, I don't think, so much as Oregon has put him in a really good situation. And because Oregon is the best opportunity for right now, he's loyal to there. Um, this really I, sucks yeah. for Arizona, though. Like, just to turn right. to the Arizona side of this, I this is worse than than Kalen DeBoer leaving for Washington in terms of like if in terms of like if you're measuring how much of a gut punch it is. Okay, Kalen DeBoer leaves for Washington, uh, leaves at Washington for Alabama. Um, and you know, it's a blow because he just took you to a national championship game. And, you know, he, he was talking about trying to build for something and you, it looked like you could win a Washington a championship at Washington, but like, 
there was still always, there was still the issue of recruiting and the recruiting classes that Washington fans convinced themselves didn't really matter that much. That like you know they'll be fine anyway, but. Everyone else knew that the recruiting was just like, mm, we'll see. It's kind of a problem right now. He's losing a ton of players. Uh, he's got to rebuild anyway, and he didn't stick around for a rebuild. Arizona? Arizona came in, ended the season 10-3 and with a massive win in the Alamo Bowl. They brought – they're bringing back their quarterback, their star quarterback, their elite wide receiver, their star running back. They're bringing back a good amount of the defense – like next year was setting up we were people were talking about Arizona as a college football playoff contender now i don't think you know i don't know that they were going to win a national championship unless the context of the playoff and the college football looked a lot like what it did last year or this year but they were going to win they were a big 10 favorite right there with utah it was arizona and utah one and two you probably could have convinced me that in fact i probably would have picked arizona to go number 1 in the big 12 and now that's all in question, not just Jets Fish leaving, but Tet McMillan and Noah Fafita and Jonah Coleman and Justin Flo and like all of these players that had such an impact for Arizona. What's going to happen? You know, that's I think that's a gut punch. I mean, the difference, if you want to put it in UW's perspective, it's as if Fish leaving now is as if DeBoer left last offseason. Yeah, great right? point. Exactly the same. Which is point, the bigger yeah. gut punch? punch to have to get to your peak and have him leave right after or to not even get to experience the peak to have it be the year before you're supposed to cash in and really compete and you don't even get to see it it falls apart before it even happens yeah um it uh, both are brutal honestly but i mean at the time being washington has a head coach it's looking to rebound arizona doesn't have one right now they're sitting in limbo yeah, they it's they don't have as many options as Washington does. Um, they never were like just in the context of the Pac-12, they never really did. Like Arizona wasn't exactly hiring at the caliber that Washington was. Um, but it's certainly a bigger gap now, I think, in terms of the, the candidate coaching pool. Um, so I don't know where they go from here. I mean, there's Arizona, I think, actually could end up making ironically could end up making a better hire in the end, right? Like they could go after one of the, we talked about um, Washington going after a promising assistant. Maybe not a, like a, they demanded a guy with a head coaching experience, but Arizona could probably be like, yeah, we're actually going to go get a young guy, a young power five assistant who's like kind of promising. Like they could get one of those, those guys. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I feel like that is absolutely within the cards and they might end up looking into a better head coach long-term because jet fish ain't staying there. You know what would be hilarious is Arizona hiring Ryan Grubb. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Could he, you know, I we have questions about him as a long-term guy um, in terms of like, we, we've never seen him build a program as the head man. He hasn't been on a ton of great recruiting staffs, as we know. But could he do what he just did at Washington in terms of play calling and maximizing? Uh, for one year at Arizona, and if you bring him in and say, we just got the guy who play called for a national title offense, it makes some sense for Arizona maybe. And maybe that convinces Tedero McMillan and Noah Fafita to stick around and say, well, look at the season that this guy just led. Um, uh, who knows? That's probably in all likelihood not what's going to happen. But kind of funny that I think uh, in many ways, I think the grub hire internally wouldn't have made sense for Washington. I think it could actually make good sense for Arizona, though. Yeah, 
It it might. And you know, the good thing here's the thing about Arizona. They're they're in dire financial straits. And by the way, um, at Jacob underscore Saliga, who is appears to be a high school football analyst for rivals. So take that with a grain of salt. Said can confirm Jetfish has called a meeting uh for four thirty to announce to the team that he's leaving Arizona to take the job at Washington. Seems like more and more noise is coming out that this is confirmed. Um yeah, I mean I, I I sort of feel like the dire financial straits that Arizona is in isn't actually as like big of a blow for Arizona as like we might think just because the big 12 has a bunch of programs that are like not very well resourced, right? That aren't, it's not like they're, they're competing with big money. So I actually think the blow might, might not be so bad and you get Ryan Grubb and maybe you're, are you higher on the cheat for a couple of years? And here's the thing with like hiring and firing coaches in terms of like trying to find the guy, um, I don't think like in my perfect world, like if I were like as a as someone who follows UCLA and and typically wants them to do well, um, my ideal is that they hire young guys, take a shot on them, roll the dice, fire them every three years, and you know like cool, we get a new coaching search every three years. This young guy that was unproven didn't work out. Let's do it again. It was cheap. It wasn't that expensive. Arizona could absolutely do that, and they should do that. I think they. Um, I don't think that they're at risk of falling behind. I still feel like just in terms of, I don't know, people are like, people think that like just being in the big 10 or being around these big names is like so invaluable and worth so much money and worth so much hassle. I tend to think that Arizona is still in a better spot in the big 12 than they are in the big 10 in terms of competing and winning games and exposure and getting into the playoff. Like, I don't know. I'd rather I would rather be wa- Arizona than than Washington. Um, and Jet Fish, I think in part, I sort of think Jet Fish might have fucked up because he he absolutely could have been a playoff coach next year. I think he would have gotten there. Um, he's consistent enough. Arizona's consistent enough. They were consistent enough this season for that to be the case. Um, but now he's got to go to Washington, and now he goes from having a top two roster in his league, maybe uh, maybe number one, the best roster in his league to what eighth ninth tenth depending on how many of these guys leave like big downgrade i think it was a big mistake the question is i don't know how much fish is making right now at arizona i think it's like isn't it like 4.7 really less than that i I don't know i'm gonna look it up i think it's in the three million range maybe but um i mean i that's what it feels like more than anything for the reason he's going is he's probably going to make, uh, you know, five to six million at Washington, maybe more than that. I mean, I know they just offered DeBoer nine point four. I think was what people landed at. I don't think Fish will get that certainly, but he's going to have a pretty raise here. Uh, and as I know, Washington's probably going to give him a longer rope than. Florida would. I mean, it's a less of a cutthroat job than that, right? And I think people probably are expecting a a rebuild and would appreciate some loyalty and have some patience given what they just went through with DeBoer. So he's probably going to make some money off of this. Um, and maybe that's what it's about for him. Yeah. So in the chat... Reported the deal is $8 million from Seattle Times. Yeah, we'll see, if, we'll see if that's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious... Um, yeah, 3.5 million. I confirmed that online and someone, someone mentioned that in the chat. So 3.5 million a year, he goes from that to, if it's $8 million a year, I, man, I, that is, 
Do you think Jed, do you think Jed Fish is worth eight million? I'm going to look up uh, while you talk. I'll, I'm going to look up the list of coaching contracts just to confirm this and see where where that would place him. But do you feel like he's worth eight million dollars a year? You feel like that makes sense? Um, I feel like he was the best hire on the board for Washington potentially, and that might make him worth eight million, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, these numbers are silly, right? What are these guys worth? How much of like yeah. how much of the pie should they be getting compared to? I, I mean, the reality here are the is, here are the you're, coaches you're paying for Noah Vafita and Tataroa McMillan indirectly if they and then come, you got to you know? and then you got to pay them too, right? Um, so the three coaches in that range, uh, the one. There, Luke Fickle makes seven point six million at Wisconsin <laughs> per on three. Um, Mario Cristobal makes eight million dollars at Miami, and Jim Harbaugh makes eight point three million. That'll certainly go up, but he makes eight point three million dollars a year right now at Michigan. I mean, obviously he's not at the level of Jim Harbaugh, but I don't know. Does that feel does that feel right? Do you feel like Jed Fish is on the level of like a Luke Fickle, Mike Gundy, seven point six million? You know, you feel like he's at that level. I think he was close to getting a big job somewhere. I mean, okay. that's what that's what Florida pays new head coaches, I would bet. I don't I don't know what Napier got, but um off the top of my head, but yeah, so I think he's getting into that range of like those were the type of jobs he was going to be up for soon. Um and I think that's that's the market for him, right? I mean, that's a different question than is he worth it, but I think that's a pretty accurate uh, measure of what the market is. I don't think that's a drastic overpay. That said, there's some questions with Fish for sure. Um, you know, he's not with with the Boer. You always felt like in your back pocket you have. I think this dude might be the best coach in the country, or that's what Washington fans could talk them up, talk themselves into on game day. You know, Fish isn't that certainly. Um, he's not someone who we think just has a unique ability to win with lesser rosters. I mean, he's done some winning at Arizona, but I think what we found is that he's done some good recruiting and scouting and that Arizona roster was pretty good when we watched it this year. You know, it it wasn't him on game day elevating them so much as it was, hey, these are some pretty good players he ended up bringing in. Um, can he do that at Washington? How does how does he fit now within the Big 10 recruiting landscape? How is Washington resourced in terms of NIL and all those things? Like, I have to see where he recruits kind of to judge how good this hire is. And I have to see how many players he can bring in immediately. Because if he doesn't, Washington doesn't have a quarterback right now on the entire roster. So (laughs) if he doesn't bring in Fafita, you're hunting for God knows who. And all of a sudden, you know, you're you're in complete limbo for at least a year. Yeah. And if he... You know, I don't know. There's talks of, there's talks of would he bring in a Jaden Delora to Washington with him if he doesn't get Fafita to come? That would be disgusting. Right. Uh, I think a lot of Washington. I I do think not. Now I know college fans are not generally sort of like very. Uh, that there's a lot that they're willing to overlook a lot of stuff. I guess I'll say, um, but Jaden Delora is a combination of a someone who has uh, been credibly accused of sexual assault uh, and and be a really bad football player. Um, and him being the face of that Washington team, I think a lot of people will tune out. Um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how Washington fans feel about this. I think there's probably mixed feelings. I've seen both people say that 
they don't want Jetfish and a lot of other people thinking that it would be a great pick. Um, I think it entirely depends on whether you get Fafita to at least, you know, bolster the, um, to soften the blow of Lee, of Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and, you know, Jalen Polk and all these guys leaving I, and, you know, Dylan Johnson, you know, if they bring in Fafita, T-Mac, Jonah Coleman, I think that softens the blow. And I, I don't know, I'd, I'd like their chances to make some noise again next year, but yeah, there are certainly worse replacements. I mean, no one's yeah. going to get quite to that level of, of Roman Penix. Um, but yeah, there are worse replacements than Fafita and T-Mac for sure. Yeah. So I, I think I, this is clearly maybe for a bag, maybe to set himself up for something bigger, but I don't think anyone believes he's saying Washington fans should not be fooled by this again. They already hired a guy who leaves every two years. Um, they should not be fooled by this again and assume that Jetfish is in for the long term. They just shouldn't. So let's see what happens over these next couple of years. Let's see what he builds the roster into, all that stuff. Anyway, so that is it. Jetfish clearly seeming to go to Washington. Uh, we'll see where Arizona goes next. They got a lot of stuff to figure out. Uh, this coaching carousel has been... Man, the cascading effects of Nick Saban leaving Alabama has been it's hit the big it's hit the Pac-12 harder than than I think any of us could have imagined. I was determined. I was telling on our last emergency episode reacted to Kalen DeBoer leaving for Alabama. I was like, I was determined for Nick Saban leaving for me to not talk about it like on this podcast ever. Thought it was irrelevant. It's the SEC, who cares? First it's Dan Lanning. Then we got to talk about Dan Lanning leaving for Alabama. Then Kalen DeBoer leaves. And now who's going to take over Washington? Okay, if it was Lance Leopold, who cares? I don't care. But it's Jed Fish. And so now Arizona has a job opening. <laughs> um, yeah, what are the other Pac-12? What, give me a Pac-12 head coach who you think is getting poached by Arizona. Dickert? I mean, Jay is Dickert, Dickert out there? <laughs> Kenny Dillingham? <laughs> Probably not. I don't. Yeah, think, I don't think I so think, either. I don't, I don't think, think Dilly so would do that heel turn. I think Dilly might be the rare exception that he's just a weird enough dude that he might be the loyal one. Like I, <laughs> he's he's the only one I actually believe Arizona State might be his dream job. <laughs> I kind of I, I think you're right. I kind of do believe him when he says that. Um, so I, Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly, to Arizona. <laughs> you wish. I would love that. I would you love that. Wish. <laughs> I really do. Fucking wish. <laughs> Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 basketball podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel. I am Carlos at Equity Bruin. Joining me is Angry Boy Matthew Hubertson at No Pit Stops. I just, this is a moment of reflection, I think, for me. Um, just so many decisions have led me to the moment of being on this podcast at this moment. I, <laughs> whew, a lot to think about. A lot to think about. Yeah, yeah lots, to, <laughs> lots to look inward about. And for the last time, read at Pac-10 Read. Not even today do I get to be a basketball boy. Come on. My team's atop the standings. <laughs> I'm actually here. Um, yes. Yes, he is actually here. No Greg. Greg got stuck walking the dogs. No Avery. Avery got stuck walking with her Chacos in the snow. Very, very sad for all involved. But uh, here we are. We told y'all that football season's over, so we are done on the main feed. Um, but we are right in the middle for the all-important off-season natty. So if you want to hear us talk about football in the middle of that hot race going on right now, go check out our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. We'll talk about the UW job. We'll talk about more rumors we're hearing on the internet. If uh, news drops about who the coach is, uh, we'll talk about that, uh, all of that for just $5. I feel like this has been one of the quietest coaching searches. Like I just feel like all the names are speculative, right? Like, 
Jetfish, we don't know that Jetfish is a legit contender candidate. Like, we just sort of think and have heard from back sources. But, like, to my knowledge, I have not heard, like, even anyone with an ounce of, like, credibility, including, like, radio people, say anything about this, right? My- well, in, in fairness, there haven't been any swim meets. So, like, I don't know where you want this information to be coming from at this time. It was a banquet. Like, I, I it think- was a banquet for the swim meet, by the way. Wow. There have been no God, banquets yeah, for the swim and dive competition. Thank you for thank you for policing my joke. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Reed? Yeah, I, I mean, depending how much of a source you consider Jason Shear, he's said that, that Fish has been contacted, I guess. I think it's... Um, Fish, Campbell, Leipold. That's that's what it sounds like. The top three is like. I mean, that, I, I feel know. like if any coaching job in the Power Five was open, those are the three names that would come up, right? Like, I think that's what people would say. <laughs> There's a joke here about them not coming up around Bama, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for everyone else except like the top three jobs. Anyway, so we'll talk a little bit. Well, Go so, ahead. and I'll be honest. The the other thing is that the the Harbaugh shoe hasn't dropped. Like, I do think yeah. that that is a big part yep. of, of what is currently going on with the cycle that I do think that every that, that those three names are, and amongst several others are still waiting to see exactly what happens, though, even though it is assumed that it'll be more. Um, I, I do think that there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get to all of that sort of stuff. Uh, we'll talk about it on our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. As always, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the video, comment away with your thoughts in the YouTube chat, follow us, and tweet us at NoTruckStopsPod on Twitter. Send us in your questions and rants, and of course, podcast listeners, follow the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review. Uh, we got a jam-packed episode today. So much to break down and talk about, discuss what the hell is going on with UCLA. We'll talk about Oregon and Colorado and Tad Poyle. We'll talk about another massive weekend in women's hoops uh, and much, much more. But let's start with another upset win over Arizona. This time, it's Washington State as the Cougs get the win over the Cats, 73-70 and freezing-ass Pullman. Uh, this game was not played outside, but it might as well have been for Arizona because they went cold in this game. Uh, Arizona was held to just 34.7% shooting from the floor. Uh, there was a fun stat on the Pac-12 Network broadcast. The cat, the Cougs, or the, the Arizona had only been held under 35% shooting in just five games in the Tommy Lloyd era. The Cougs now hold two of those games. They've done it twice. Uh, they did it last season in Tucson when they held them to a season low of 32%, and now they've held them to 34.7%. So let's start with the Arizona side on this one. The Cats are now 3-2 and two to start league play, and questions are starting to mount uh, about Arizona's viability as a national contender this year. Reed, uh, does this game concern you, especially when it comes to the Cats' chances in March? It does concern me uh, in terms of the narratives that we had a couple weeks ago about this Arizona team. I mean, it seemed like Arizona fans were kind of planting the flag that this was the best team of the Tommy Lloyd era, um, that maybe this was the team to kind of break some of those mark- March curses. And I think we're seeing that it so far they've been a step below those teams and that this team still does have a weakness. Uh, you, you know, were quick to call it out on Twitter. The physicality in this game was, again, kind of a tool that Wazoo wielded to control it. Um, And I think it's tough to find for me, like, the line between that and bad shooting to explain this game because Arizona did a lot of things right. They had 22 offensive rebounds and still lost this game. Um, So, overall, I'm, I'm left with this team has a weakness. 
it's not the best of the Tommy Lloyd era, but I still go back to some of the things that we've talked about, whether it's, you know, Kylan Boswell's control of this offense or Keisha Johnson kind of making them a bit more switchable on defense uh, that I think could make them built for a March run still. Yeah, I think there's they they have pieces. I think they have all the pieces to make a legitimate March run, right? Like I think Keisha Johnson, to your point, like a very physical rebounder, someone uh, he adds an element of toughness that I think they need. And he was he was he was physical in this game. I just think that Washington State looked a little more physical and were sort of I wouldn't say pushing him around, but certainly going going to toe to toe with him. They had that moment where Keisha Johnson went up for a massive dunk. And who was, I think it was, was it Isaac Jones? It just like, or was it Ruben Chinielu, uh for Washington state just goes up and, and, and blocks it. What a highlight play. Like that is probably the highlight of this game. Um, and just sort of highlights that Washington state was up for this. Um, and Arizona, I don't know. I think there was a couple of other things that came up in this game that were concerning to me. Kylan Boswell basically disappeared in this one. Um, he had absolutely nothing going for him was honestly a little timid um and i the, the box score <laughs> the box score shows it um let's go through it zero points in this game uh zero rebounds zero assists zero blocks zero steals that's a wild stat line to have in 25 minutes that's he should be honestly i might go and now i'm like looking at it and i'm like i might go and make, make a meme about this like I should talk about this more and make, make fun of it more. Um, he had nothing going. He was completely passive, just totally disappeared from this game. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's plenty of other blame to go around in terms of the players, but at some point, Tommy Lloyd, like we, that he's brought a couple of things have happened that, that have happened over the past couple of years in the Tommy Lloyd era that are concerning. Yes, Matthew V says Tony Snell type game from Kylan Boswell with the 25 minutes, zero, 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 zero stats. Uh, I did have two fouls, so I'll throw that on the graphic. Thank you for putting that up. Oh, I got to make a graphic for this. This is going to be so funny. <laughs> um, Do you even need to put in the right box score? Can you just use the the Snell <laughs> box score and will anybody did, catch it? Let's, let's look this up. Um, what do we think? He had... Oh God, he's got a couple of these. It's funny. I think Snell Snell had more shots. Um, Snell was what, like over ten? <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. Twenty eight minutes. Um, zero point zero rebounds, zero assists, zero blocks, zero steals. Only three more minutes than Kylan Boswell. Um, yeah, funny stuff. But, but I mean, did he have a turnover? Uh, did he have a turnover? Did he have? I think he did. <laughs> yeah, he did have. He had one turnover. <laughs> um, <laughs> silly box score anyway um so it's it's the players disappearing thing in the case of kylan boswell it's the physicality thing that you mentioned it's also the lack of half-court offense like it felt like to me that washington state successfully slowed down the pace of this game kept it at a pace that arizona uh is not typically comfortable with i think this might have been one of their lowest possession games of the season and they struggled in the half court. Um, their offense had a really hard time. It looked like they were in the mud, and then defensively they struggled too. So I don't know, Reed. I don't know if you wanted to, to say more about this I mean, game. They did create a lot of extra possessions from the offensive rebounds, though. Like they had seventy-two True. shots to fifty-six. Like they had ample opportunity, and I think that speaks to, like you said, the half court offense, like finding a way to get easy baskets. Because when you shoot you know 16 more shots than the other team you should probably win that game yeah. like <laughs> so 
I don't know. I, I go back to like I, I do think that there are some things about this Arizona team um I guess that make them less fraudulent than past Arizona teams, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I think this is a team that they they might not be the one seed that we thought was gonna roll into the tournament a few weeks ago, but they might roll in as a four seed, but actually deserve that ranking and actually be able to play to that level in the tournament, if that makes sense. Whereas in in past yeah. Lloyd, it's been, oh, we're a one or two seed, but we're playing like a fucking 18 seed. <laughs> yeah, I. That, <laughs> it's true. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I do think that um, that we're going to get Arizona looks like we'll be seated appropriately this, this time. We'll have a chance to to not get taken out by like a 15 seed or something maybe they'll get taken out by like a 12 seed or a, or a 13 seed i don't think they're falling outside the top four at this point they're they're actually still number two in kempom um which is surprising given the number of times that they've lost usually it's like all about your efficiency and net rating and all this other stuff you sort of would think it would it would have punished them at some point and it hasn't really quite done that but um yeah i mean i i think there's there's some weird shit going on here with arizona uh i i i like Washington State, we'll get into we'll get to Washington State in depth after this. But I like Washington State. I think they're a tough team, and I think they're a competent one. I think I I tweeted right before this game, like I think it's going to be a tricky one, and it very much was. It just felt like you know they did not have enough going on for them in the half court. I will say, Caleb Love, um, this is what you have Caleb yeah, that, Love for. Go ahead. That that's my question is because especially come tournament time, if you have an elite guard, you've got a shot. It really does not matter what your path is. Can can Caleb Love be that guy where he just carries them through a run? Yeah, I mean, and the, and it's weird because like he had a um a, a bad shooting night. He was ten for twenty five, forty percent from the floor. It's not good. Uh, when you have to take what is it twenty five shots to get twenty eight points. But it also felt like he was the only one who was willing to let it fly and jack it up and get some shots. And he was able to get some going. And he and he kind of kept them in this game almost by himself, um, frankly. And I think that's a that's they have different kinds of things where it's like they have players that are different than what they've had in the past. Caleb Love, like having a guard like that who can just go on a heater or just take 25 shots and say, fuck it, I'm gonna take this shot. No one else is willing to take a shot right now. I'll take it. Um, you need that for a turn. You, it's great to have in a tournament situation. Keisha Johnson, again, we talked about it, a physical bruising guy. Like, they've had that. They have not had that before. It's just that the other pieces are are kind of, you know, it's it's Kylan Boswell, very up and down. Sometimes he looks like the best player in the Pac-12. Sometimes he puts up a 0-0-0. Pella Larson, we know his long history. He's got a long history of fading in and out of games, um, and you can't really rely on him for his production offensively. Defensively, he's always fine. Um, Umar Balo had a brutal game in this one. Um, I, I thought that he was not, he thought he struggled defensively with what Washington state was doing. Washington state was back cutting them to death. I thought he got turned around way too many times. Um, I'm wondering at what point Mo Crevis, you know, you might start kicking the tires on Mo Crevis getting a little bit more minutes than he is right now. Um, so I don't know. I think a lot of this, uh, I, I would not chalk it up to like poor shooting. I don't think that this game was as fluky of a game as the Stanford game. Like the Stanford game was like, oh, they just gave up, you know, uh, 60% from three. And like teams, they, they basically said, there's no way you're going to shoot that well from three. And then Stanford did. It was a complete luck thing. I do think that that was the case for Arizona in that one. I thought their offense was fine. Uh, I just think that Stanford shot the lights out in ways that they normally don't. This game, though, was just like, 
is more indicative of the kinds of things that people should be worried about with Arizona. I don't know. I think they have, you're right, Reed. I think they have the roster. I just, they've got to figure, they have some stuff to figure out now. Um, they have to make sure that Kylan Boswell doesn't disappear like that again. They desperately need him to be good. They got to make sure Pella Larson, I mean, at this point, Pella Larson is who he is. He's a great player. Uh, lots of fun to watch. Very talented. But sometimes he's just not going to be in these games. I'm not sure if you can get more out of him. But, you know, you got to get some of these other guys going because they they weren't. Um, so, I don't know. The refereeing in this game, by the way. What would you think of the refereeing? There's a lot of talk about the refereeing in this one, Reed. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really have I, – I, I hate ref discourse in basketball so much, to be honest. <laughs> it is my least favorite thing about the sport. Yeah. Uh, first half, letting them play, like, just – just weren't calling anything i i was it was uh me throwing an elbow right into your ribs and no one calling anything it's <laughs> like if you if you were calling no one was willing to call their own fouls there um and in the second half they tightened it up but the first half i think that was what when arizona really struggled is when the refs were holding their whistle and i don't know i thought it was a fun game to watch arizona fans were really mad they were like this isn't basketball this isn't this how is this bad this is not letting them play this is this is uh not basketball what are we doing here um i thought it was fine i mean i thought it was great that uh wasu was allowed to be more physical and arizona was too before we move on i i it is interesting to me that we have this ucla arizona game coming up in this next week and I feel like when you talk about a team, you know, out physicaling someone, like we'll talk about the shit show that's going on at UCLA right now. But that's I, that's kind <laughs> of happening. been a bit of the identity under Mick. Like, I and I wonder, this won't be the the UCLA Arizona game that we anticipate in the preseason. But I wonder if it sneakily could become a weird one. Um, and what you think of that, Carlos? Yeah, I mean, we'll get to you. Yeah, Carlos, let's let's talk about your hope. <laughs> yeah, Where, where's your hope? At? Here's the thing. Uh, I've got this weird sneaking feeling that UCLA is still collapsing and will get its ass kicked by its next two opponents. I have this sneaky feeling that it's just like the Arizona game is one of those games that players get up for and it's a rivalry and it's going to be raucous. I kind of think I, I don't think UCLA is going to win that game by any means. Uh, I think they will they will lose, but I don't think right Utah beat the shit out of U, UCLA by f- almost fifty, and we'll get to that. In a they bit. did. I don't know that. <laughs> uh, um, I kind of think this Arizona team might be susceptible to just like really hard defense and really physical play, um, and especially in the context of a rivalry game. Right. Like, I think that place is going to be that place will be juiced for UCLA no matter what. Um, So and Arizona's got to figure out, like, you know, I I think they probably don't care whether they, you know, out whether they beat Utah in terms of their final differential against UCLA. I don't think Arizona is going to be trying for a 50 point win, but I don't know. I mean, I do think it it'll probably be a little more connected than than we might expect just because it's a rivalry game in Arizona. You know, they, they can struggle with some physicality. We'll see. I. Uh, again uh as has been the case all season i don't trust anything that the regular season is telling me about arizona um it's it's really hard to gauge them um let's shift over to washington state because they did win this game and honestly it felt to me more like yeah it's kind of a cliche you know this team won it that this team lost it it feels like washington state just just took it from arizona um beat them up was were physical down low had a lot of bigs to throw at Arizona read any thoughts about Washington State's performing in this performance in this one I think my biggest takeaway was like 
I wasn't sure if this team could beat other good teams. They hadn't really done it all year. Like the, they lost big when they played Utah. They lost to Colorado. They lost to Oregon. And this was kind of a breakout performance of them to say, no, we, we can actually throw our hat in the ring and like compete with some of the teams, compete with the best team in this conference right now. Um, so I thought that was, you know, a signature performance from them. And I think it makes me a lot more intrigued about like what Wazoo can do over the course of the season playing against the other top teams in this league. Yeah, I think Washington State has um, players that I think will be like that are that are making an impact right now that could lead them to have a pretty nice season, uh, including getting to Cal Smith's first first uh, NCAA tournament at uh, Washington State. I think they absolutely are on track to do that as long as they continue, are consistent, are competitive with the very good teams, beat the ones that they should beat. I think they'll be fine. Um, Miles, are, go ahead. Are they? Are they? Is their starting lineup running these minutes every game? Like 39, 36, 37, yeah. 37 across. Like, <laughs> that can't be sustainable, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen coaches do this. They do do this. I don't think that that's... Um, that's abnormal, um, but I also think this is probably a unique game that Kyle Smith definitely needed to win. Let's check this out. That's a great point. Um, I mean, they look to spread their minutes quite quite evenly. Uh, Isaac Jones only averages 30. Miles Rice, 31. Andre Yakimovsky, 31.5. Oscar Clough, 20. Um, so I, I guess Kyle Smith was like, nope, we got to win this game. We absolutely have to win this game because they all got more than their, except for Oscar Clough, all got more than their season averages. So that's, yeah, they played almost all 40 minutes. Yeah. Pretty pretty ridiculous. They did, I mean, they didn't yeah. shoot <laughs> but, their way into this game or anything too. You know, it was no. like, like they just grinded Arizona down and stuck with it the entire game. Like, you know, pushed them around in the first half and just – hope that Arizona kept missing in the second half and kind of held on and got it done. So I don't know. It's, it's not a performance that you can just look at and say, Oh, you know, like Utah's had a couple this season where it's like, okay, they just shot 55% from three and made like 15 of them. And that's what powered this game that they, they were four of 13. Yeah. Uh, they did not, it was not a part of their game plan at all, and they were not relying on it. And I don't think they were hitting like tough mid rangers, all you know, like that. They were just kind of hot this game. They got easy looks. Um, they got really easy looks. I think it's somewhat of an indictment on um, on Arizona, but I also think it's probably indicative of Washington State. Right? They uh, kind of dramatically changed their philosophy from last year. The guy. The the interesting thing about Kyle Smith is. I have quips with him as a coach, but like I, I do think he will adapt to the team that he has at his disposal. He doesn't have a ton of shooters, and so everything is oriented towards trying to get stuff in the paint um, and trying to work the interior. And they got 34 points in the paint in this game. 34 out of how many did they score? 75? Um, 73. 73. Yeah, so uh, almost half their points came um, came in the paint. Outscored Arizona uh, by two. Arizona had 32 points. That's kind of, you know, they, they were getting great looks on the interior. They were Arizona. They were back cutting Arizona to death. Felt like, I don't know how many wide open dunks they got by someone cutting, um, sort of kind of on a high, low action from Washington state. Um, and Washington state 
had the opportunities. Uh, and a, a large part of that, I think, is Isaac Jones had an awesome game in this one. He just knew where he had to be at all times. He wasn't trying to do too much, was well-positioned, uh, and the guard play right was great. It got him the ball when they absolutely needed him to, to, to make a play, and it worked. Um, I don't know. Miles Rice, too. Like He looks like a top 10 player in the Pac-12 right now. He's been awesome this season, um, and he's a cool story i'm not sure i mean (laughs) if you um it's 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 a little it's if you watch a washington state game they will absolutely talk about how miles rice uh, had cancer last year and that's why he missed all of the season as a as a true freshman uh had cancer recovered from it uh he was declared cancer free i think sometime in april or march and um now he's back and he looks like a legit player he's Scoring 14 and a half points, uh, 45% shooting, um, 33% from three, uh, two and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, two steals almost. He's had a great year this year. Um, I think he looks like a, a real player. I'm really curious to see where he goes. Um, so anyway, I don't know. This Washington State team is good. I'm kind of looking at their schedule. I don't know, Reed, what do you think? You feel like they're going to, they, they have a real shot at making the tournament? They definitely have a shot. I'm... I'm very skeptical of whether this league is going to break out and have like five tournament teams or six tournament teams or whether we're just going to settle into like three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of in the middle right now. You got a lot of teams in the top 70. Exactly. And I think if these teams, I mean, if if we keep doing what we've been doing over this first two weeks of the conference season, we're going to have two tournament teams. Like <laughs> it will be Arizona and Oregon and no one else because right now it it feels like a cycle of the middle teams beating up on each other. Um, and I don't I I you know Arizona State has one loss right now. I don't really trust them to hold on to that. <laughs> no, Very streaky, no. but at the same time, I think they're probably good for one or two more upsets of a wazoo or, you know, another fringe team, a Colorado, whatever it is. Um, they definitely have a shot. Wazoo has a shot, but I don't know that any of these teams are getting out of this. I mean, this is Pac-12 cannibalism, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, Arizona, just for people who don't know, Arizona is uh, number two in Ken Palm, the next highest rated team. Utah, number 22 in Ken Palm. It's going to be the highest in a long time. Um, Can't use that number. <laughs> I thought it was is it 22 <laughs> yeah it is 22 i yeah. forgot um so arizona's two utah is 22 colorado is 37 washington is 52 oregon is 54 washington state is at 62 and just outside uh is usc at 73 we can i think we can safely cut it off at usc i don't think usc is making the tournament everyone else after that i think is 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 my might be screwed here's the thing though to your point reed the league is actually much better than it was last year but it's it's also like it doesn't have a ucla and an arizona two elite teams in arizona i don't know maybe they're not an elite team um but the bottom the worst team in the pac-12 per camp um i i don't think this is actually true like you know in terms of who i think is actually the worst team um but the worst team in camp is cal and cal is anywhere from uh scrappy and feisty to outright dangerous they had oregon on the road we'll get to that they had oregon on the ropes uh last night i cal looks like 
a I think, problem. Like they look, they have the offense to be able to like win any game. Yeah, absolutely. I think Oregon State's actually below them though. They're at one fifty five. Um. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, Oregon State is okay. Oregon State, and it does feel like well, see, Oregon <laughs> State's been competitive this year. I don't know. Like, I would not say this has been a bad season for Oregon State. Um, they they took Washington State to the wire for the most part. Uh, they were competitive with Washington. They've lost three in a row for sure, but they lost an overtime game to Stanford. I Oregon State is not even like uh, right. But right? I don't that's think that the, they're a that's bad. kind of the issue though, right? Like they beat yeah. USC. You know, it would be better for the Pac-12 overall if Oregon State had no shot to win those games. But yeah. sadly, they're probably going to get a couple more, <laughs> and that's just going <laughs> to derail the, the case of one of these teams even more. Yeah, yeah, we're you're right, Reed. I think we're getting either two or we're getting like six. Um, I do think that there's a lot of teams in contention right now. I'm, yeah, man, this is going to be a weird, weird season. So hopefully, I think Washington State. Uh, they're one of those teams where, like, they beat Arizona. I could absolutely see them losing to Cal next week <laughs> exactly. in Berkeley. I mean, <laughs> you know, Cal's good enough. Cal's good enough. Um, I I absolutely can't see that. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd say right now, if I was just like looking at these teams right now, I would say yes, this is the best. This is the the best team. Not sorry. This is a tournament team, not the best team. This is a tournament team. I would say, like, I think, I think they get there, but yeah, they gotta be, they gotta beat Cal next week on the road. They gotta get one more quad one win. Where are they gonna get it from? Maybe Washington. I don't know where Washington is in the net. Probably kind of outside of what a quad one win is, but they've gotta, they've gotta be able to beat some of these teams. So we'll see. We'll see with Washington State. Uh, let's take a quick ad break and when we'll come back, we will talk about UCLA's collapse. We'll talk about the rest of the Pac-12. Don't you go anywhere. All right, we're back. Next game for us to discuss, Utah beats the hope and also piss and shit out of UCLA in Salt Lake City. This one was an epic beatdown, 90-44 to 44 in Utah's favor. Utah hands UCLA its worst loss 
since 1997 when Stanford beat UCLA by 48 in what is colloquially known as the Maples Massacre. Everything was working for Utah offensively and defensively. The Moose shot 50% from the floor and is scorching 41% from three. They out-rebounded UCLA by almost double, 47-25. They held UCLA to an abysmal 32% from the floor. Um, the box score's uh, really ugly on this one, so... Reed, uh, you watch highlights of this one. Any any thoughts about this? It's sad that we don't get Graves and Greg's thoughts on this because I think they'd have many, many thoughts. But what did you think in, in watching this game peripherally? It's definitely a big get-back game for Utah, right? Like, they, they had so much momentum going into last week. They lost to the Arizona schools. And, you know, I, I'm hesitant on this team. I, I think that they they have size and they have shooting, and those two things when it goes well, work together really well. Um, but I just don't know they're in that same category again of like, you know, can they sustain this week in and week out and actually build a tournament resume? Um, and for this game, it's hard for me to like draw that much from Utah when you see what UCLA was like, it was just a complete and utter collapse in every single phase of this game from UCLA. There was literally nothing that went right. It felt like, so I don't know. I think it's something that Utah can build momentum off of, but at the same time, having just seen them fall to two of the better teams in the conference, this UCLA win to me is, is exciting, but so much of it feels like a UCLA story. Yeah, a lot of it does feel like a UCLA story, but Utah, to their credit, like they, um, this was a tough game that Utah was ahead of for, I don't know, quarter 1.25 halves of this game. Um, And, you know, Utah was mostly in control even then, right? They never really relinquished. Obviously, the doors just, I mean, everything just collapsed for UCLA. I mean, a lot of that Utah had had something to do with that, right? Like Gabe Matson went went nuclear for like a good, I don't know, 10 minute stretch there in the middle. Uh, he went three for eight from three. Cole Bajima was hitting a bunch of stuff, four for seven from three. Um, they had zero answers on the interior for Brandon Carlson. Like, I think that's the thing that, mm-hmm. um, is most sustainable about Utah is their size. The re- the, honestly, the best player in this game, um, the one that made all the difference in the world and that truly made UCLA collapse. The one that actually made actually UCLA had no answers for was Kate Akeda. Their backup center. Um, he should not be a backup center. He should be the fucking starter. Um, he is really good. I've, for those who are uh, who are not paying attention to Utah, Kebakeda, I think, is starting to look like a real force out there. Um, he is kind of small, undersized for a center. He's six eight, but he's athletic as hell. Um, he looks much smarter defensively than he was last year, and even then, he was pretty good defensively last year. Offensively. He's like in the right spots. They've got him and, and they put him in really good positions as a rim runner. He had a couple of post-up ga- moves in here uh, against, even against the Dambona. Um, and, you know, I think his best work came against the Daimata and that was a, a UCLA thing. But Kebikeda legit took over this game and buried UCLA uh, in a lot of ways. They had no answers for when Kebikeda came in. I think it's absurd that he only gets 14, 15 minutes a game. I don't know what the deal is there. By most metrics, he is actually um, – that's actually probably uh, a function of, like, 
he i've lost my train of thought uh he's he by met, most metrics he's the best player on this team like most efficient you know when you look at his player efficiency rating if you look at his box plus minus like he is their most valuable player per the minutes that he plays would love to see that scale to like 25 minutes a game would love it um loss and lovering is a fine is a fine big but would be great to see him come off the bench and and it would be fantastic to see kbk to get more minutes because he is he he looks awesome sometimes he looks truly unstoppable um so yeah i i don't know i mean i i think this utah team has things that are sustainable and repeatable i don't think they rely on gabe Matson and cole bajama going you know 45 percent from three or whatever it was um it was seven for 15 so almost almost 50 percent from three um because they have brandon carlson and k Bakeda who can get stuff on the interior raleigh wooster uh didn't have a great game in this one but was attacking the basket in some stretches and put some pressure on them davon smith coming off the bench also did that also a great creator himself he's learning to find people this utah team i think um does not have the makings of like a final four team or anything but they certainly have the makings of a team that's gonna I think they'll. I think they absolutely are are going to make the tournament. I think they'll get like twenty five wins. Maybe that's saying. Maybe that's a little uh, ambitious. I I think that they are the second best team in the Pac twelve. Uh, I think it's un. I think it's unfortunate that their first game, uh, their first road trip was the Arizona schools because Arizona State got hot in that one. I'm not sure how sustainable that is for them, but they did get hot. Um, they went twelve for twenty eight from three in that game. So okay, whatever, the Arizona State game, and then they get their asses kicked by Arizona in Tucson. We'll see what happens when what that game looks like in Salt Lake City in a couple weeks. I don't know. I think they're, I think they're a good team. I'm, I'm, I've been high on Utah. They're 22nd in Kempom right now. I think, they, I think they're here to stay. Maybe they have a couple of silly losses here and there. They're only favored to lose, by the way, per Kempom. Uh, they're favorites in every single game except home against Arizona and um, at Boulder. But so. I, I feel like the thing with them is is it just oscillates based on the shooting. You know, I, I, I think, yeah, like on the average there, whatever you said, the 22nd best team somewhere in there, they can they can look like a top 15 team when they're hot, but their defense isn't good enough, I feel like, to sustain that floor of like, okay, if we have a if we have a bad night shooting, we don't we don't lose to bad teams. Like I mean, they got pushed by the brink to the brink against Southern Utah earlier this year. They gave up yeah, they did. I do remember that 82 game. and 92 <laughs> to <laughs> Washington, Arizona, and Arizona State. So I don't know. I, I'm 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 hopeful that you're right. Um, but I'm less I'm less sold that this is like locked in as a tournament team. Yeah. That's fair. I do think that they're a good team, though. I mean, I'm curious, Matt, you're not a basketball person, but you're out there in Salt Lake City. Do you feel like people are paying attention to Utah hoops? You think it's they're getting traction there? <laughs> yeah, it's I hate it when this fucking happens. So, like, <laughs> you know, Utah football, like especially Utah football Twitter, the worst part about it is when you realize that it's just Utah basketball Twitter that also watches football. <laughs> um, it's it's very frustrating to be a part of. I, I I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. This really is a basketball school. Um, and they just have not had a roster outside of like 2016 in the last in the Pac-12 era. And I, I think that the noise is very much that this is a roster that is deep enough to have expectations. Um, you, you're right that they don't have like a top five roster in the sport and that they're not going to sit here and, and you know, be a final four shoe in. But 
Keita and, and Smith being able to really run a second unit and have a situation where you're not going five to 10 minutes with just completely inept basketball is, is not something that has been normal in the Pac-12 era for Utah and does seem to be, to be something that can be relied on. Yeah. Yeah, I do think the depth they have is is nice. I think that they have players. I would not say they have athletes. I think they got a couple now, but they have a, a lot of experience. Greg and I always talk about this team being very old. This is their depth chart. If you just look at their depth chart, right? It's like their starting point guard, Raleigh Wooster, is a senior. Gabe Madsen's a senior. Brandon Carlson's a senior. Ben Carlson's a senior. Cole Badgema is a senior. Behind them, Davon Smith is a senior. Um, Hunter Erickson is a senior. He's kind of he's he's given them great minutes. Lawson Lovering's a junior. Um, their youngest player is Kabakata, a sophomore, and he might be their most you know he's he might be their <laughs> most impactful player. They've got the roster. Here's the thing: if we think like you know I don't know one of these a, a classic old it's like one of those classic old mid majors that are like yeah this was their breakout year they had thirty games in like the fucking A10 or the A Sun or whatever like that or something like that. And uh, they just happened to kind of break through because they had a lot of experience and they can get to a sweet 16 and cause a couple of upsets. That's this Utah team, but like, you know, 50% more talented. So yeah, I think, I think they absolutely could, you know, they, they're, they're not going to have to face an Arizona in the tournament immediately. They're going to get a couple of opportunities to prove themselves. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that this team, it's been cool. Here's the thing that's been cool about Utah. We're talking a lot about Utah. We'll get to UCLA in a minute. I promise I'm not dodging. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I'm not stalling here. Uh, the cool thing about Utah is that, like, I don't know, this has been kind of the crescendo since the Craig Smith era. Like, he's had Brandon Carlson on this team. He's had Raleigh Wooster on this team. He's had Hunter Erickson on this team. He's had Gabe Matson on this team. That's sort of been the core. Um, and he's added pieces around it that I think really complement them well now that they've sort of developed into players. Brandon Carlson is a legit, like, top... 10 top five player in the Pac-12 to me. I do think he has been that for a couple of years now. It's really coming to a head for him. He's starting to figure some stuff out even more so now in his like millionth year at Utah. Gabe Matson has turned into a legit knockdown shooter off the dribble. Like he's he's dangerous. He's got a quick trigger. If he's got the ball with any amount of space, he's going to get it up and it's 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 going to get close. It's going to get real real close. So, I don't know. I like this Utah team. I'm, I'm. You're right, Reed. I think that there's some questions that they have to answer, but I'm, I am excited about them. I do think they're a good basketball team. I hope you're right. I, I think this team would be fun as hell to watch make a, a March run, especially if they got hot and you have that inside outside game with Brandon Carlson. Like they, when they're good, they could definitely make a run. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll find out. Let's go to the other side of this. Let's talk about UCLA. Uh, it's time to talk. Are about they good? <laughs> Can they make a run? <laughs> The run's out. Uh, any aspirations this hope this team had of trying to figure some stuff out and make a run at the NCAA tournament? And th- they should have ended maybe three games ago. Uh, absolutely, you can end it now. I like you should have. You you there. There is no hope for UCLA this season to even make an NIT. Not even sure they'll make the CBI because they won't have a winning record at this point. There are six and ten now. Um, and they've got a lot of questions to answer. Um, this is their eighth loss in nine tries, their fourth straight game, their ninth loss in 11 tries. They have not won a basketball game since November 30th, and things are getting wor- Like, every single subsequent game is worse. I remember after the they, – they lost to Cal a couple nights ago. Uh, not a couple nights ago. I think last week. And it was – 
I, I was sure that that was rock bottom. This is rock bottom, losing by 46 to, to Utah. Reed, did you have any uh, thoughts about UCLA melting down? <laughs> I mean, it was just such a – it was an epic meltdown, truly. Um, I'm excited to see what UCLA fans decide to name this one. Um, you know, I mean, assist to turnover ratio, eight assists, 13 turnovers. They got out-rebounded 28-50. to 50. They were they were so bad in every way in this game. Like just absolutely nothing was working. Adem Bona had two rebounds. Like what is happening? Um, I don't know. This team, this team is. I I I feel bad because I've poured so much in. I I you convinced me in the preseason <laughs> that it was going to start bad, but that. Learning about this team and watching them was going to pay off when when Mick eventually figured it out and brought things together and they went on a stretch run in mid January. It's mid January, buddy, and we are we are not gearing up for a run right now. It it does not look that way at all. No, no, they are not gearing up for a run at all. Uh, at this point, uh, the expectations for UCLA need to be reset. At this point, they got honestly the. The long and the short of it against Utah is that they quit. Um, the long and the short of it against Cal is that they started to quit. This was the most quitting-ass game I have seen from UCLA in the Mick Cronin era. I cannot remember the last time they quit this bad. Um, they just uh, defensively, uh, I mean, the first half I think was completely fine, but um, the the second half was when things got weird and they just they just – had adversity got down big and then it was over um at about the i can't remember i think this might have been at like the i don't know 15 minute mark of the um second half and the ucla was down i don't know 15 something like that i tweeted something like this right here is the moment like we're gonna find out if this team is gonna turn it around if they've got any stuff left if they're gonna quit um, if they typically make Cronin teams right at the moment where they're down 15 and it looks like things are dire, they figure it out. They claw their way back in. They lean on their defense and they're within seven. They're within eight. They're within six. They're within five. Um, even they, even though, even this season, right when they've lost, they've, they get close and then they, um, they lose. But if they had faltered, I was like, this team might've quit and boy, did they quit? Uh, this is. This is the worst quitting I have ever seen from from UCLA team under McCronin. I how how can you say quitting when this game was ripe for the worst beatdown in UCLA history <laughs> and they they finish on a 5 to 2 run? How can you say a quit team does not go on a 5 to 2 run to a to avoid a landmark loss like clutch. that? Clutch. They kept it respectable. They were clutch in the ending moments of the game. Like that's not a team that I just I can't disagree more. This does not look like a team that has quit. Today. Clutch shooting from Brandon Williams to make sure and Elon Fible to not lose by fifty. Clutch. Uh, they desperately needed to avoid that. <laughs> Such negativity uh, so, in the UCLA athletic program. So much That's, negativity. I, I think the the <laughs> thing about this team is that now what they need to be doing is not trying to you know figure out how they can turn it around and all this other stuff. They need to make sure that they retain their eight best players. Um, they need to make sure that they don't have Mick Cronin needs to make sure that he does not have a mass exodus at the end of this. And sometimes the way he talks, it sounds like he'd love that. 
he'd be a fucking moron to do that. He is his whole thing is that if you're here for four years, I will develop you and all this other shit. Um, if he runs off these players and or if they leave the a, a lot of them, especially the key ones, he's fucked. I I would I would say his tenures over if that happens the last salve he has is that these players dylan andrews their starting point guard needs to come back sebastian mack needs to come back a daimata needs to come back barke buchdenchel brandon williams Ilan Fibler, will mcclendon they all need to come back and dan bona might leave for the nba who knows we'll see those but like jan vide like they have to have eight of these young players come back next season or they're fucked or mick cronin is fucked it is so weird this is like Really strange to talk about with Mick Cronin because just last year they won 30 plus games. They looked like one of the three or four best teams in the country. They were gearing up for a real run, a real shot at a national championship. They were one of the four or five best teams in the sport. Absolutely, they were. Um, and then they get those injuries that were Dembona and Jalen Clark, like basically take them out, drop them down a peg, uh, and they lose. But after that, you're like, damn, okay. Like, they've got to do some rebuilding next year, but, you know, the program's trending in the right direction. They get a bunch of these freshmen. Okay, they've got to rebuild. It's going to be an ugly year. We'll see what happens. There was, it is, it was not within my, like, um, within my range of possible outcomes that they would fucking melt down to the point where we're talking about Mick Cronin's tenure at UCLA. Do I think he'll get fired? Just to be clear, I don't think he's getting fired this year. I'm not saying he should get fired this year, but. People are starting to raise questions about next year, and not just fans. Fans, there's fans who are like, "Yeah, fire McCronin." Media people are starting to ask questions about Mick Cronin's tenure. How viable is this moving forward? Does he like he desperately in order to save his job? Now we're talking about him having to make sure that his players come back and or that he doesn't run them off. That's where we're at right now. Like we've gone from, yeah, this dude's like a top ten percent coach in the sport to. Holy shit, we, how how long can UCLA put up with this? In 16 games, it's absurd. It's truly absurd. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that, Reed. I, you would know more about the big picture, McCrone and stuff, but it definitely, it just doesn't make sense for UCLA. Um, you know, like this, yeah. this is supposed to be a top five job and Mick is supposed to be a top five to 10 coach from everything I've heard. So losing by 50 doesn't really <laughs> seem like the natural conclusion from those yeah. two things. Rebuilding rebuilding like this, like this is not what rebuilds should look that, like. That, that, and that's what's the scariest part to me. Like where, where is the talent? Like this, this should be a top five roster year in and year out, right? It, sh- it should be at least a top 10 roster year in and out. I, I would be okay if it was a top 15 or 20 roster. I think these... The players that he has, I think that there's talent here. Um, I think there's a lot of UCLA fans who are like, these aren't the right guys. And obviously, I think they're blaming Mick Cronin, too, for for how he recruited. And certainly, he has some issues on the recruiting trail. But I think people are like, well, this this team is just like, they missed on all these guys. I don't think they missed. I think that there's some talent in here that Mick Cronin, it's his responsibility to pull out. He's got to pull it out. Um, he's got to turn Dylan Andrews into a workable point guard. Maybe he'll go get another one. I think Dylan Andrews absolutely could be a starting point guard uh, at, a, at, a, at a major level. Uh, Sebastian Mack, there's obvious talent there. He is reckless. He is uh, taking a ton of shots that he should not be taking. But like, there's talent there. Absolutely. Um, Berke Bjorknichel, 
looks like a freshman turning the ball over but very obvious that he can that he has a lot of touch that his footwork is really good for someone who's 18 years old he's got some stuff that he can build off of brandon williams elon play all these players are talented enough i think to be able to be competitive and they were competitive they were competitive against a top 10 marquette team that's the that's the weird thing is yeah like yeah there is talent there and we saw it work you know it's yeah They've reg- like, it's so weird how they've regressed over the past two months. Yes, because they were in a right. better spot. We a- we actually saw it hasn't been this the entire year. We actually saw it work, and that's why it seems so clear that they've just quit. Yeah. So, and, and this is the problem with Mick Cronin. If you're a hard ass and you're like berating your players all the time, and you're like, "Yeah, this is what the program is," the the downside of that is you know do you run off players obviously you kind of tell them and you're up front like i'm gonna i'm gonna chew your ass out i'm gonna be in your ass but it's to make you better do you want to come here and sign up for that and obviously players will say yeah yeah i'm I'm ready to do that who knows what what it's like if they all decide to leave or the vast majority of them decide to leave i think that's an indictment on mick cronin's approach and i don't know that you can feasibly say he's already had to go to the international waters to um, across overseas, <laughs> he wasn't picking anyone out of international waters. He had to go overseas to get some of these guys because a bunch of players on the recruiting trail turned him down because they didn't want to deal with that. So I don't know. Um, I, I think that these are, this is um a critical juncture in McCrone's tenure. I think in you know if in twenty twenty five twenty twenty six he gets fired. I think we're gonna look at this moment right here in mid January twenty twenty four and say, yeah, this was when. This is when things went south. This is when it truly became untenable. So we'll see. They've got um, they've they've got fourteen or so more games to figure it out. They've got to retain some of these players, and if they don't, things are going to get weird. These are going to get really weird at UCLA. It's wild to say, to be honest with you. Um, okay. Any other thoughts about UCLA before we move on? All right, let's let's move on here. So a little women's hoops talk. There were a ton of great games on Friday, but there is a massive slate today. It's a bummer that we're releasing this, you know, and they're 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 going to tip off in about forty five minutes here, uh, because as soon as we're done recording, got to get to your televisions. We have a we have a ranked matchup number eight, uh, number I think it's number eight, number five, Colorado versus number eight Stanford. That's right after this. Um, we did get one ranked matchup. On Friday, though, number eight Stanford beat number 19 Utah 66-64 at the Huntsman Center. Uh, coming into this game, supposed to be a huge matchup of two or three of the four best players in the Pac-12. Um, Stanford's Cameron Brink and Utah's Alyssa Peely, but they both look brutal in this one. Peely scored just 16 points off a wildly inefficient 5-for-18, while Cameron Brink scored just 9 points uh, in this one for, for off just 4-for-13 shooting. So the result was an ugly rock fight, 66-64, pretty much... <laughs> Um, highlights that the star instead was actually Kiki Ariafin, uh, Stanford six three forward. She kicked ass in this one uh, while Brink was struggling. Uh, Ariafin had twenty five points off eleven for twenty three from the floor, grabbed a whopping sixteen boards, threw in four assists, two steals, a block. She was all over the place, um, and she propelled Stanford to a massive resume boosting win. Uh, I know that I'm the you know I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm the true sicko here on women's basketball this season. It's been my goal to try to watch more of these games and to get more immersed. So. Any uh, quick thoughts, Reed? Either a thought or a question about Stanford or Utah in this game? Well, one, you know, I didn't get to dive into this, and I'm excited to dive into some of the ones uh, today. But the one thing that I picked up on was 
the disparity in approaches in terms of three point shooting was really interesting. Like Stanford only shot 12 shots in this game. Uh, Utah shot 32, right? Like, do you think that that is a weakness for Stanford? Do you think that that makes them like have less upside in terms of scaling up to beat the best teams in the sport? I think that's a good question. It's probably worth noting that Utah's approach is very much like new age, modern basketball. Like we don't take any mid range jumpers. It's all going to come from three or it's all going to come from the interior. That's it. If you look at one of their shot charts, it is absurdly consistent. Like how, where those dots are falling and they're falling on either like five feet from the basket or from three. Um, Stanford takes a different approach. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have Cameron Brink, um, and that they have a couple of bigs. The other part of that is to what you're, what you're pointing out here, Reed, I think is a weakness. I wouldn't say it's their shooting necessarily. I would say it's their guard play. Um, I think their guard play has been up and down this season. I think that's a little bit of why Cameron Brink doesn't always have the offensive performances that she probably could given what she has at her disposal. Um, but the it's the guard play for them. Um, I think that they've got some uh, they've got some question marks there. Talana Lapolo, I think, has shown flashes of being a very good lead guard, um, a great distributor, but has also not been that, and it's certainly not a score by any means. Um, Hannah Jump, totally fine as a score, but like not someone that you're relying on down there. So, I think the things you're pointing to, Reed, are are more so about their guard play broadly and generally right mm-hmm. they've got a they, their perimeter per perimeter play is is lacking and i think that's why they're not taking as many threes um and it's fine you know they're figuring it out because they have cameron brink who by the way cameron brink didn't have a great offensive game but people should know what she's known for is being a, a an elite two-way player like you know we'll talk i have some thoughts about like caitlin, caitlin clark and all the discourse around her um, the thing that sets Cameron Brink apart is that she's legitimately maybe the best defensive player in the country and also um, can get her buckets almost whenever she wants. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good a good question. Um, other other thoughts or questions real quick about uh, Utah Stanford? I mean, I'm like the, the Utah line of you lose a game where you make 13 threes and you're 40% from three. I, I the math on that should have you in a much better spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do think that there's a little bit of, is there, I mean, Peely going five of 18, I think that she looked tired at the end of this mm. one. Um, and, and has a, a ton on her, on her shoulders. I know that you've mentioned that she is quite possibly the best team that are the best player in the pack 12. Where, where, where does Utah go from here? Cause I think that they are shooing for a tournament team, but it feels like they are still, still knocking on the door of really having a chance at being a top flight women's basketball team. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it's just a really unfortunate. I think Utah had a shot um, at at something special this year. The injury to Yana Nipkins, uh, the season-ending injury, brutal. She was easily their second best player, mm-hmm. probably a top ten player in the in the Pac twelve. They desperately needed her, um, her perimeter play, her shooting in particular. Desperately needed that, and she's out for the season. And, and she was creating. Like at this yes. point, it feels like Peely's creating right. everything. Right. right, the offense is running through Alyssa Peely. Absolutely. And the other part of that is that 
Um, their lead guard, Isabel Palmer. Izzy Palmer. She's she's also hurt. She's only played three mm-hmm. games this season. She was also supposed to be the one who's creating. Um, and so the result is Alyssa Peely has to take 20 shots a game. And and the result is, as we know, and like others in every other sport that we watch, defenses will key on key in on your best player and dare you to beat you with someone else. And normally that would be Yana Neepkins. Normally that would be Izzy Palmer. It's not it's not happening this year uh, because those two players are gone. So I don't know. Utah's in dire straits. Uh, I, I think that they'll make the tournament. You know, I think they're a competitive team. The fact that their defense is good enough without those players, I think is encouraging. I think they will, you know, I think make a couple of teams frustrated, but yeah, they have a real ceiling. Um, and it's unfortunate because I feel like the injuries really um, set them back. So kind of sucks, but it's a fun game. They're going to be competitive against the best teams in the country. They were, they, had mm-hmm. South Carolina on the ropes, um, despite the fact that again, no Jan Nipkins, no Isabel Palmer, um, and Alyssa Peely just going off. But you know, we started sort of sort of starting to see now, like people are just like, yeah, we're just gonna crowd uh, Alyssa Peely if she gets it anywhere within like ten feet of the basket and force her to pass it out or create something difficult. And she can often make some stuff happen, but you you can only do so much as a player. You just it, it's a tough situation for them. Um. Okay. Well, that was Stanford, Utah. Uh, we've got some massive games going on today. Just real quick, I thought I'd preview these. Uh, first one, Stanford traveling to Boulder to play a legitimately terrifying Colorado team. The Buffs are ranked number five in the AP poll in our 14 right now. Jalen Sherrod, Colorado's point guard, started to take over games now. She looks like she's going to be this team's anchor and their star. Uh, and they already have a really balanced roster around her. Um, this game's going to tell us a lot about the Pac-12 pecking order because I think people are sort of, to your point, Reed, like the point guard play and the guard play. People are sort of wondering about that. Colorado is a lot more balanced. I'm really curious to see what they what they figure out. Should be lots of fun. And then the other big game, uh, number two, UCLA, and number nine, USC. They go at it again, this time at the Galen Center. That's another sellout crowd for Los Angeles in Los Angeles on hand. Um, both have only played the Oregon schools since these two played uh, one another, but they both won those games, including against a very good Oregon State team. That Oregon State team probably could threaten uh, some teams in the tournament. Um, I don't know why these games are so close together. Like they played it on December 30th. Now they're playing it on January 14th. I don't think the schedule makers knew that USC would be this good early on uh, with Juju Watkins breaking out the way she has, but um, kind of, kind of silly. Uh, both those games, by the way, are on the Pac-12 network, which absolutely sucks. Um, and what other major and women's basketball, women's college basketball is, is becoming a major sport. Um, wh- why are top 10, um, matchups on the Pac-12 network. I love the Pac-12 network, but like it's clear at this point that they're not right. They're not getting the exposure that they are. Um, Caitlin Clark. It's, that's a sport issue, right? Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't. Um, Caitlin Clark is getting lots of attention, right? To that point, like and deservedly so. She's a ridiculous player. Like, but that Iowa team um, is not. I don't think better than UCLA. I don't think they're better than Colorado right now. Um, it, this is me. Someone out there's people out there who are like women's basketball sickos who are probably listening to this or not listening to this who would say like, of course Iowa is better than UCLA. I'm just gonna say it like I think I think Iowa is not better than UCLA. I don't think they're better than Colorado. I'm not even sure they're better than Stanford by most metrics. Honestly, analytically, Cameron Brink has been a more impactful player than Caitlin Clark. Um, and I say all this to say that the Pac-12 women's teams are just not getting as much attention as they deserve. Um, and lots of Caitlin Clark's attention is because you can tune into ESPN two, like, oh hey, I hear Caitlin Clark's doing some fucking ridiculous shit. Let me go to ESPN two, um, and there she is cooking a bunch of 
middling Big Ten teams, to be honest with you, all of whom, like, her best competition that she hasn't played yet, by the way, Caitlin Clark, um, at Iowa, is Indiana, right? There are two ranked teams here. Indiana, a team that Stanford beat by fucking 30. And Ohio State, the other ranked team in the Big Ten, that UCLA basically beat by 30 in Columbus before they let their foot off the gas. Those are the only two ranked teams outside of Iowa in the Big Ten. Um, and, you know, it's like the Pac-12 is not getting as much attention. I think Cameron Brink is every bit as good of a player, if not better, than Caitlin Clark. Uh, I think that there are several players. Uh, Alyssa Peely, I would say, is a, is a better player than Caitlin Clark. Um, obviously, Utah is not a better team just because of what they have around her. Uh, you know, Lauren Betts, Charisma Osborne out of UCLA, Juju Watkins, like, all those players should be getting as much attention as Caitlin Clark. And it's kind of unfortunate that the Pac-12 network, you know, I love the Pac-12 network. I love its production. People know that. I also just think it's real. It's a real access issue when when networks aren't putting those games up. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, the top ten games, the best, some of the best games in the country uh, are not ha- are not available to a large swath of the country. So that sucks. It, especially as women's basketball is in a really healthy spot right now. Yeah. To to not have so much of that health be distributed is 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 really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, I, I, I think women's basketball will suffer because of the death of PAC 12, but also, Hey, I'm glad that Juju Watkins, she's a true freshman. She's going to be ridiculous at USC. She's like, she looks like she's going to be a fucking problem. She looks like she's going to be talked about every, every bit as, as much as Caitlin Clark is now. Um, and we get two more years of her after this. So that's great. And she will absolutely shine on, you know, ESPN FS1 or FS1 and FS2. And FS2. <laughs> I'm not sure what the big 10 networks deals are. With some of the women's sports, Fox Business. <laughs> I hope not. Right after <laughs> I hope not. So, anyway, if you're a UCLA fan, you're a Stanford fan, you're a Colorado fan, you're a USC fan, or even if you're an Oregon State fan, go watch your women's team. Uh, go honk at me and tell me I'm a fucking clown for saying UCLA is better than all of them, uh, because the the five teams um, are going to be these five teams are going to be anywhere from dark horse national title contenders to like legit national title front runners, as is the case for UCLA. Stanford and now I think maybe Colorado. So if you come at me, I'm not even going to dunk on you for only watching your own team. Go watch your own team. Chances are they're they're probably they're <laughs> probably very good. Anyway, it's my diatribe. Let's get out of here and let's end with some rapid fire. All right, Cal goes one and one this weekend, beating Colorado in Berkeley 82-78 on Wednesday and falling just short against Oregon on Saturday. They fell 80-73 in Eugene. Cal is looking pretty dangerous still. That looks like a team worth watching down the stretch. Meanwhile, Oregon on the other side did get the win over Cal in Infali Dante's return uh, to the court. The Ducks moved to 13-3 and and 5-0 and in Pac-12 play. They, they sit alone now atop the Pac-12 standings. Reed, are you quacking yet? We are fucking rolling, man. For a split second in that first half, it was like, okay. Ooh, it looks scary. We had a good run. You know, it's been a great week for Oregon. Okay, this is the price we have to pay. And then, bam, comes back. Jackson Shellstad doing his normal thing. I mean, he wasn't crazy in this one, but he did have that one just – the confidence of a freshman he just dribbles down the court pulls it immediately hits a huge three that i think was the first one that gave oregon the lead back in this game um and Vali dante you know it, it wasn't a huge breakout performance for him in his return but i think you could see the pieces there of like okay we we remember this dude when he's down low in a centerpiece with how much all these other guys are surging 
this thing's going to click and be really good. Um, Jermaine Cousinard really had a breakout performance, five for nine from three. He's been good all year, um, and I think that 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 has helped out a lot as well. So super excited about this Oregon team. Uh, On the other side, Cal also like dangerous, definitely. I think we'd pencil them in to be maybe the worst team in the conference preseason, and they're better than Oregon State. They're probably better than UCLA right now, and they're slowly climbing up that ladder. Um, They easily could have won this game, and and I think that they're going to be alive in almost every game they play this year, which is an awesome sign for them. Yeah, offensive, like offensively, they are absurd. They are fun to watch. It was like in that first half, they were like, they were draining everything. Jalen Tyson looks awesome. I mean, I think he, I think he is also a top 10 player in the Pac-12. Uh, Fardaz Imac, uh, probably up there too. He's crafty as hell. Great rebounder. Oh, this Cal team's fun. But you're right, Oregon. I mean, they're the victors here and they, they ended up battling back and taking control of this game. They got some fun dudes, this uh, Oregon team. They've got, uh, Brendan Rigsby, who's like <laughs> just a bouncy, a bouncy, cold little white guy, I guess you could say. Jackson Shellstad, uh, absurd player. I'm really excited to see him develop. Um, uh, who got the, the, was it, was it Cario Oquendo who had the highlight yeah. dunk over Oquendo? Who was it? Was that Fardaz IMAC or something? Like, uh, yeah, Cario Oquendo had an absurd dunk, just like, Maybe the best dunk of the season. Oh my god! Wow, I, I love this yeah. Oregon team. It's just so got some dudes. we're so deep with wings, and the fact that we have these two big men to plug in. I mean, it it could get really fun. Yes, we're in an exciting time for Oregon. I guess I hate happy Oregon fans. It's all, like they're we're just also, it's the least annoying and least entertaining Oregon fans. Like you guys are so much more fun when when you're mad. <laughs> I don't like this but at the, all. The, to the other point of we talked about all these teams that have taken hits to their resume, you know, through the first two weeks of Pac-12 play, and Oregon's the team that down their two big men has pulled out these games and put themselves in a position to sustain a couple, you know, weaker performances or losses through the rest of the slate and still be in the tournament conversation. Yeah. What's weird about it is that they're, they've won six games in a row. Their ranking keeps dropping (laughs) in Ken Palm, at least Uh, in the net. They are 55th and they dropped from 52 after yesterday. I get that Cal is bad, but like, Man, I hope the tournament, the the selection committee, when it comes time down, when it comes time to evaluate these teams, puts that in context. That Oregon was missing a bunch of guys, and they're healthier now. Yeah, they uh, played. The last loss was December seventeenth against Syracuse. They were thirty ninth in Kempom. They fell all the way to fifty six because they got their ass kicked. They beat Kent State. They're they go to forty eight. Beat US USC. They go to forty seven. Um, they beat UCLA, and they dropped to fifty three. Uh, they beat Washington. They go up to fifty one beat Washington State up to 49. They beat Cal. They're down to 54. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Cal is is uh, is like rated poorly, but I think Cal's kind of kind of dangerous. So I, I don't know. I, I hope I hope that they just reevaluate here because Oregon. I think Oregon is 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 a legit a problem, and they're getting healthy now. Um, and it'll be it'll be scary hours for everyone else. Um, okay, next up, Arizona State. Finally dropped a game in league play, getting their asses handed to them by the ever pesky Washington Huskies in Seattle on Thursday. The Chaos Devils cool down now after that loss. Meanwhile, Colorado has a Frankenstein week themselves, losing to Cal and then beating USC in Boulder by 10. Before the USC win, 
Colorado fans are ready to bury Tad Boyle. They still might be. Things are not looking great for him. Matthew Hubertson, you feeling weird about the Tad Boyle era in Boulder? Look, buffs are frauds. Buffs are, it doesn't matter the sport. <laughs> the buffs are frauds. And they have been this whole Pac-12 era. And I don't know why we're still surprised by it. I don't know. We'll find out. I Tad Boyle uh, has had a really rough stretch here. Let's see if he figures it out. I They have a good roster. They really should not be this bad. But yeah, they might be a little. They might be a little fraudy. Uh, moving on, Stanford beat Oregon State in overtime. It's the fourth game this season in which Oregon State has gone to overtime, but their loss. But this is their first loss in overtime, so the beef streak of overtime wins officially ends at the hands of the Cardinal. And finally, USC dropped two games this weekend, losing to Wazoo seventy-two sixty-four in Los Angeles, and then falling by ten to the Buffs in Boulder. All of that compounded by Isaiah Collier breaking his hand and being ruled out four to six weeks, which um, in my view, four to six weeks might end his only season in Los Angeles. Uh, he's, he's probably going to get prepped for the draft. I, I would be surprised if we saw him again this season. USC is now eight and nine in what is now a dead bleak season for the Trojans. Reed, does Andy Enfield make it to next season? I don't think so. I mean, this, this is such a tease for USC fans. This was supposed to be the year it was all building towards kind of, and you have that, the Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier tandem in the backcourt was what it was built around with a lot of other supporting pieces. Boogie Ellis is he's done after this year, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Think after like million right. years. Yes. So I don't know how you bring him back. I mean, the injury isn't his fault, sure, but this is wildly disappointing for USC from what the expectations were preseason. Yeah. Um, little Sebastian in the chat says, I hope DJ Rodman got a good NIL deal for this USC team. Yeah, DJ. I mean, <laughs> all those Wazoo transfers, like I feel like, uh, I mean, they're doing fine. I, by all accounts, DJ, TJ Bamba is doing fine at Villanova and, you know, they got a bunch of players there, but it is, uh, it is disappointing because I think this Washington state team is good. And man, DJ Rodman, I truly thought DJ Rodman going to USC was like, I mean, they have a ridiculous roster. There is no way about it. Reed. They have a, a top. They have the best roster in the Pac-12, and they've squandered it. Big time squandering. Uh, all right. Well, that is all we have. Uh, I guess we'll stay tuned into the UW coaching search. we have an update? Any? Did they hire anyone? Any shocking names? Lance Leipold is the heavy, heavy favorite right now. Oh. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. Uh, honestly. Really? More OKG shit. And I, and I think, you know, people will say, and I don't think it's the dumbest thing ever that oh this is kind of like DeBoer he's a guy who's win other one other places it is the dumbest the, thing ever well, <laughs> well I think two things the offenses are very different right and I think DeBoer's pass heavy mm-hmm. offense gives you a better chance to scale Leipold's run heavy offense depends more on talent and actually winning the line of scrimmage two the rosters are drastically different that's the issue there's the cupboard is bare it wasn't bare when DeBoer took over and and like you sit here and talk about like DeBoer's history as a head coach, like he won every single he never lost more than two conference games anywhere that he was like Leipold outside of 2018 Buffalo has never lost less than four conference games like this is not the same thing. It's just not. I love you, Matt. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I checked at the resume because people were sort of talking about him and I'm like, yeah, OK, I guess this is like. Kalen DeBoer light, but but it's I, not I a white. It's a run it's heavy not, offense, it's right? Not. I mean, that's very different to me. That's true. 
It is, but it's like it's run heavy in the way that like Tulane is run heavy, and like like there's a little bit of like fun stuff around it. But I'm this isn't. I don't know. There, there's just not anything that I'm sitting here saying that like this is a unique elite talent coming in at Washington. Um, I, just again, what? Reed's gonna love. Reed's gonna love me. I think this says a lot more about where Washington is in the scope of of the new college football and in the scope of the Big Ten. Oh, it says like I just. I don't know. I do not love this move. That says a lot more about what they think they are and what they think they deserve. I really, I think, I mean, uh, UCLA has this problem. I think, you know, a bunch of schools have this problem. USC has this problem, although I think USC is in a bit, a bit of a different space. Like, they, this idea that, like, yeah, we, we deserve to have a coach who has, like, a head, head coaching experience and who has won at, at, at like, we need to see him win at uh, as a head coach somewhere. And I'm like, why why do this? Like just take a shot on a young guy who hasn't had a head coaching head coaching job before. Pay pay him less. You'd probably end up paying him less money. Um and see what happens. And then you could fire him in three years if it doesn't work out, right? Like yeah. I don't see why why colleges exactly what truck, Oregon did. Yeah. Truck stop shout, but fucking Syracuse, I forget his name, but hired this young DB's coach from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Just a dogged recruiter knows other dudes who are assistants who are hungry for bigger opportunity, brings them all in. Who knows if they win on the field, but they're going to get a lot of guys. And even if it flames out in three years, they're going to have a better roster for it. This doesn't have that upside. You know, they're, they're just, UW needs juice right now. And Leipold is not that higher. And exactly. You need juice and you're gonna, you're, it feels like you're signing up to suck for two to three years. And like Leipold's not going to be around for ten years. He's fifty nine years old. Like I, I don't get. I don't get it. This is especially this quickly. I like this is a quick turnaround to make to be making this higher. I I don't know. This was yeah. This is uh, honestly uh, a <laughs> this is like the college coaching uh, problem with hiring is the vast majority of them think they're too good to take on you know a DC a lead assistant somewhere. It's and it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll talk more about it on Patreon when it's official, I guess. Uh, But for now, that is Reed. That is Matt. Thank you all for subscribing. Thank you all for listening. Please like this video. Please do hit subscribe. Thank you to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Rumors still and thick with smoke. Digging makes you choke The crowd vibes in The coffee's kicking And my patience to everything Said I'm lonelier Than a single sax On a quiet city street Things aren't always green Up on the sunny side of the street And I don't mind If the sun don't shine Bloody weather suits me fine Pouring up the best wine On the boat tonight I think I'll be a superstar